So we are at Acts chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the first... Let's go through verse 11. Let's try to go through verse 11. First 11 verses. Now, again, I wish that big number 5 wasn't there. Uh, you know, we didn't put those numbers in the Bible uh, till the uh, 13th century. We, we didn't put chapter numbers in until the 13th century. We didn't put verse numbers in um, until the early Protestant Reformation, trying to help you find passages quicker. Uh, but these numbers are obviously not part of the text. So you need to make sure before you read verse 1 in chapter 5 that you remember what just was said. Remember at the end of chapter 4, uh, you were introduced to one of my favorite characters in the book of Acts, Barnabas. Joseph, the Levite from Cyprus, uh, who had the nickname Barnabas, son of encouragement, is an example of Christian generosity at the end. You may remember, if you remember back to the closing part of chapter 4, Barnabas sold land and gave it to the Christian community to use. So you need to, this is a a a compare and contrast going on here. So when you go to Ananias and Sapphira, you need to compare this to what you just read about Barnabas. But there happens to be this big old five right here between the two stories. But um, the five wasn't there originally. So think about Barnabas, the person who sold a field that that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So with that ringing in your ears, go straight to now the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, but, and the but there is calling you back to chapter 4. You're going to compare and contrast these two. But a man named Ananias, uh, the name Ananias in Hebrew means God is gracious. Um, he doesn't, Ananias doesn't live up to his name. With his wife Sapphira, or Sapphira, Sapphira, that comes from the same word that you get sapphire from. So, um, most linguists will say that that name probably means something like beautiful. So here's um, uh, God is gracious and beautiful coming together. Neither one of them are living up, will, will live up to their names. They are part of the early Christian community. Don't lose sight of that. We're talking about Christians here. We're talking about people in the Christian community. Um, I, I'm assuming it does not shock you that you'll find people in the Christian community that uh, exhibit shocking behavior. That's nothing new. Here's Ananias and Sapphira in the Christian community. So you see what they do. Verse 1, they sold a piece of property. Now we've had two two opportunities to talk about um, money in the early Christian church. It's not an early form of communism. It was completely voluntary. Uh, The Bible, Old Testament, New, gives you the right to private property. That's why you shouldn't covet. You have the right to private property. So um, Ananias and Sapphira didn't have to sell the piece of property. But um, they wanted to look like Barnabas. Barnabas did what he did because Barnabas really was a generous human being, a generous Christian. Uh, Not so much for Ananias and Sapphira, but they wanted to appear to be Barnabas-like. So they sold a piece of property. They didn't have to sell it, but they sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, so they're both in on this, which is why both of them get judged here in the text. 
And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Well, that's, that's okay too. Except what's the problem here? They're saying they're bringing it all to the apostles because they won't look like Barnabas. But they're not bringing it all to the apostles. Maybe the piece of property brought more income than they thought it would. And they rethought giving it all to the Christian community. By the way, in this text, you'll find your first occurrence of the word church. So they're giving in the book of Acts. So they're giving this, they're saying that they've sold a piece of property and they're giving all the proceeds of the property to the church. They don't have to sell it and they certainly don't have to give all the proceeds to the church, but they want to look like Barnabas. Again, we're talking about hypocrisy. We're talking about pretense. We're talking about deception. Um, this is Ananias and Sapphira. But anyway, so they laid part of it at the feet of the apostles. Same thing Barnabas did. Um, but they, they said, obviously, because you're going to watch what happens in the text. They, they said, obviously, you know, we're, we sold this piece of property and we're giving it all to you. But between the sale of the property... And the bringing the proceeds to the apostles, they thought differently. So the two of them said, we won't really give it all, but we'll say we're giving it all. We'll say we're giving it all. I mean, I assume you know maybe perhaps some people in the world that's all about pretense. They're all about show. They're all about uh, the reputation in public in front of other people. And it may not be who they are behind closed doors privately. Well, that's Ananias and Sapphira. They want to look like Barnabas, but they, they ain't Barnabas. Poor, poor grammar, but good theology. They're not Barnabas, uh, but they want to look like Barnabas. They want the other members of the Christian community to think they're like Barnabas. Does not end well, friend Ananias and Sapphira. Look at verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to God, to man, but to God. There's a lot in that um, that Peter says there. One thing, how does Peter know this? Um, you know, he didn't get insider knowledge on the sale of the property, I don't think. Um, you know, this is what Paul will later talk about, I believe. When Paul talks about New Testament prophecy, when Paul talks about uh, a word of knowledge, uh, how God can give supernaturally information to people, that's, that's referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as one of the gifts of the Spirit. God can gift certain people. Uh, with an ability to know things uh, when there should be no reason they know those things, except the Holy Spirit reveals those things. And, and Peter's clear here. It's the Holy Spirit who's revealed this um, to, to him. And also notice some good Trinitarian theology here. At the beginning of what Peter says, um, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And at the end of what he says, you've lied to God. You know, the Son is like... There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I don't guess I need to go back through Trinitarian Nicene theology with you, um, but that's core Christianity. 
uh, God the Father is equal to God the Son, who's equal to God the Spirit, who's equal to God the Father, who's equal to God the Son, who's equal to God the Spirit. Uh, that's the way the New Testament presents our vision of God. So here you hear Peter re referencing the Holy Spirit and God. Because uh, Ananias um, lied to the Holy Spirit and God. Um, why did Ananias lie? This is a good place to talk about how Satan can operate in the lives of Christians. Uh, Peter says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? To the Holy Spirit and to God. Let me say something about, because there's probably not enough preaching about the enemy, about the enemy of your soul, um, as it should be. Because You don't read a lot about Satan in the Old Testament, very little about Satan in the Old Testament. You, you go through those 400 years between the Testaments, when you get to New Testament, Satan's all over the place. So there is a sense where the a theology or doctrine of Satan is, is more a Christian thing than a Jewish thing. You don't find them often. You do find them there like in the book of Job, but you don't find them often in the Old Testament. He's all over the place in the New Testament. So you need to work on your theology of Satan. Um, again, I, I love the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, by Martin Luther out of the Protestant Reformation. When the Protestant Reformation occurred and they were restoring uh, the Word of God to its proper place in the Christian community, but Martin Luther wrote that anthem of um, the Protestant movement, Though this world, A Mighty Fortress, Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed. His truth to triumph through us. Every time I watch a mainline Protestant church sing that, one of these days I'm going to make the organ stop when you sing that part, though this world with devils filled. And I'm going to ask you, do you really believe that? Uh, you, you, may, you may struggle to believe in the good side of the supernatural, but some people believe in the good side of the supernatural, but they don't want to deal with the dark side of the supernatural. The New Testament is balanced with both. Uh, one of the things, and, I, and if you will indulge me for just a moment, I want to read something to you. Um, I can tell you what, what he says, because I agree with him 100% in what he says, but I really want to read this to you because I want to throw the name C.C., the initial C, um, Peter Wagner out there. Uh, you may or may not be familiar with C. Peter Wagner. Uh, he is deceased now. He, he was thriving in ministry in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s back when I was being influenced by him. Um, he was uh, one of the early missiologists. Uh, he was on faculty at Fuller. Uh, he did church growth. He did a lot about uh, reintroducing signs and wonders to the Christian church. He, he, he helped uh, American Christians learn from what was happening on the continent of Africa and in other places, places where, on the, where on the mission field, uh, you, you do see a lot of the signs and wonders that you see like in the book of Acts. Um, and C. Peter Wagner also, in a lot of ways, introduced a lot of mainline Christians uh, to the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, back in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of material written about uh, discovering your spiritual gifts, which, by the way, are different from talents and natural gifts, but discovering your spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to you, and a lot of that material is written by C. Peter Wagner. Uh, he, he does have a commentary on the book of Acts. Um, if you ever really get excited about the book of Acts, I can tell you maybe my three most favorite commentaries on the book of Acts. But C. Peter Wagner is one of them. Anyway, here's where C. Peter Wagner does some basic theology about the work of the enemy in the life of Christians. Um, let me just read it to you. 
because he's talking about Ananias here. What was what was the enemy, the devil, Satan? What can the enemy do to a Christian? Uh, because again, if you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Bible declares that, well then, demonic. And it was C. Peter Wagner who kind of helped all of us to begin saying it this way. Demonic possession is not an option for a Christian uh, because you're already possessed by the Holy Spirit. So demonic possession, and we had to say that after you know the movie Exorcist came out and all that stuff. Um, but demonic possession is not a top, is not an option for Christians because you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you know they both can't possess you. You know you've got the Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit have you? That's basic Christian theology. Now that shouldn't lead you to to, to have no respect for the enemy. Because there is still some ways the enemy can operate in the life of Christians. Uh, remember, it was Peter, maybe after this episode, it was Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, I think along about verse 8, where Peter says, Remember your enemy, uh, the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. As Peter says that in a later letter. Letter. So, so what... What can the enemy do in the life of a Christian, particularly if the enemy can't possess a Christian? Well, you could write this. Every one of you thought about it long enough, but I like the way C. Peter Wagner says it. Although it is not theologically sound to suppose believers um, can, can be demon-possessed, it is clear that demonization can occur at least to the extent of Satan filling the heart and that's where he's quoting Acts chapter 5 in regards to Ananias, it is clear, at least to the extent Satan filling the heart is in the case of Ananias. Some are more comfortable with, with the terms demonic oppression. Yeah, the enemy can't possess you, but the enemy can oppress you. Um, the, more, some Christians are more comfortable with the terms demonic oppression or demonic affliction or demonic influence while other transliterate the Greek and use demonization. Uh, anytime you see the word possessed in an English version of the Greek New Testament, you almost always can translate demonization. Because again, the reason Blavis would prefer that is we don't believe that you can be possessed, but you can be demonized. You know, I wish when you came to Christ the enemy quit fooling with you. But I'm sure you've noticed when you came to Christ, the enemy got more involved in your life. I mean, think about the story of Jesus. As soon as he's baptized, what does he do? He goes out in the wilderness to, to deal with the devil. Anyway, so demonic influence there, demonization. All are attempts to acknowledge that Satan goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's the text in 1 Peter. And that at times he succeeds. It is true, like with Ananias and Sapphira, it is true that believers can be victimized through satanic attack with no fault of their own, as was Job. But although powers of darkness can influence health, and this this is where I think C. Peter Wagner really is on to something. Listen to this. And, and, and although the powers of darkness can influence things like health, loved ones, material possessions, and peace, your personal peace, moral decisions... Moral decisions are strictly the responsibility of the individual. 
Yeah, only Flip Wilson can get by with saying the devil made me do it. <laughs> we can't. Moral decisions are strictly the responsibility of the individual. Satan can deceive us, but he cannot make our moral choices for us. Although Job was a victim of almost every conceivable direct attack of Satan, in moral issues he maintained his uprightness and did not sin. Ananias could have done the same, but he chose not to. So, um, yeah, we get to talk about, I'm heading to embalming in a minute. We talk about embalming, hypocrisy, money, devil in these 11 verses here. So um, here Peter gets a word of knowledge, I think, from God to know what it is Ananias and Sapphira have done. So Peter calls him out and says, you know, that Satan has filled you to do this. Again, he didn't have to even sell the property, but he sold it and they're pretending like they're giving it all and they aren't. So, look at verse 5. It gets more bizarre. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. The word there in the Greek is literally the word from which we get expire. You breathe your last. You let your last breath go. So, yeah, Ananias fell over. You know, where I think the modern Christian movement can benefit from this text, one of the places the modern Christian movement can benefit from this text, is um, anytime I feel like I'm, anytime I, the Spirit kind of convicts me for, for trifling with God, uh, this text sort of comes to mind for me. Yeah, we need to be careful about trifling with God and trifling with things of God. Uh, so anyway, here, he breathes his last. I love the next verse. It's very serious, but I love the next verse. And great fear came upon all who heard of it? I'm sure it did. I mean, you talk about a pledge campaign. <laughs> and again, he didn't have to give it, but he wanted to be seen. He wanted. He was in competition with Barnabas. So yeah, great fear. By the way, to show that you know some Greek, the word fear there is phobia or phobias, but from which we get the word fear of certain things. And great fear came upon, because again, the word is not reverence. It's not all, but it is fear, fear, trembling here. Verse 6, the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Um, you probably know that even to this day, to this day Jews do not embalm, unless, except in rare exceptions when they're made to. Jews did not embalm, which means you bury quickly. Now, what what you need to see here in this text right here, notice who who took care of the dead and an ice. Um, the young men, these are the young men here in the Christian community that's watching this going on. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. In the ancient world, and somewhat even today, it has changed somewhat in synagogues, but particularly in the ancient world, who prepared the body for burial? Where was it done at? in the home by your family. So don't lose sight of the fact that here in the text, the church is functioning as the family, friend and us. So and again, you're going to learn in the next verse, um, the wife is out doing something else, so she doesn't know what's happening. But again, in Judaism, they don't embalm even to this day. Uh, by the way, we didn't really start embalming to a great extent, till the Civil War to get bodies back home from the battlefield. 
uh, throughout most of history, we didn't embalm. Egyptians embalmed, uh, but throughout most of history, we, we haven't. We never quite knew why. But during the Civil War, we, we had the practice of embalming far before then, but it was during the Civil War to get bodies back. Um, before the Civil War, do you know how they, if they had to preserve a body, which they usually didn't, they just buried it where they needed to bury it. Um, but before the Civil War, you know how they, how they preserved bodies? And there's a body buried at the Methodist Church in, I never get this straight, is it Beaufort or Buford in North Carolina? Beaufort. There is a person buried from the 18th century in the cemetery in the Methodist Church there um, who, was, who died at sea. And they didn't bury him at sea. He won't, for whatever reason, they brought him back to, to that, that city. You know how they kept him? Put him in a, they didn't have any ice makers on a ship. Put him in a barrel rum. You can pickle somebody. So that was known in the ancient world. If you, for whatever reason, had to get that body back. Um, we, we never quite saw the need for that. I don't know why that person that that person is buried in the church cemetery. There's a plaque that will tell you that. By the way, if you I visit church cemeteries, I love church cemeteries. There's a plaque in that cemetery that will explain that to you. But um, embalming didn't really start happening much in the Civil War to get bodies back home. But anyway, so they buried them quickly. The church is functioning here as the people who are are, are burying uh, Ananias. Well, look at verse seven. After an interval of three hours, I wonder what she was doing. After an interval of three hours, his wife comes bebopping in and um, not knowing what had happened. Um, I'm just amazed that she was doing something for three hours and the word didn't get to her. That makes me more curious as what she was doing for three hours. Anyway, verse 8. Look at Peter. Peter um, <laughs> Peter's almost trapping her here. But it's a, I guess we'd have to say it's a godly trapping her here. Look at verse 8. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Oh, yes, she said. Yes, 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 for so much. And, of course, we gave it all to the church. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together with your husband to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. And they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and expired. Breathed her last. Let out her last breath. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out. And I wonder what those men thought was going on here. And they and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Uh, you, could, you could write verse 11. You know what's coming next. And great fear came upon the whole church. This is the first use of the word church, ecclesia, uh, from which we get ecclesiastical, ecclesiology. Ecclesia is the Greek word for church. It just means the called out ones, the gathered ones. It's not about a building or organization. It's the people. So great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Um, don't know if you were familiar with that text before this morning. You know, the Bible's full of amazing stuff, and, you know, the historic Christian community has said the whole Bible's beneficial for our learning and our life of godliness. Um, you know, some people just like the Sermon on the Mount in 1 Corinthians 13, they're ready to call it a day. But there's a lot of good stuff in the Bible. 
And we, you know, we can learn some stuff from what's here. Um, you know, this text obviously tells us to be aware of hypocrisy, pretense, making a show of godliness that's, that's not real. Uh, what you want is for it to be real, just like with Barnabas. It was real with Barnabas. It just was not with Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira just wanted to present the picture. That's what pretense. They want to pretend, be pretentious, do do just just bring pretense upon the people. So um, uh, that's that's obvious. This text is teaching this. Uh, you know, our our what we do in our life. Sometimes we can't prevent this. What we do in our life, Jesus said this. What comes out of our mouth is as a result of what's in our heart. What we say and what we do is a result of what's in our heart. And you know, uh, Barnabas's heart was right. He was. He had been. He had experienced the generosity of God in Christ, and he became a generous human being. And nice and Sapphira, not so much. But they wanted to compete with Barnabas. They wanted. I'm sure people said nice things about Barnabas when Barnabas did what he did, and they wanted people to say nice things about them. So it's obvious here in this text. You know, um, contrary to postmodernism, we can read a text. And, and see what's obviously there. Uh, we know why Luke included this in the book of Acts. One thing that you may need to remember when you look at the book of Acts, sometimes you have to look at the book of Acts a little bit like you look at the book of Exodus. You know, like, for instance, let me explain. You know, when God gave the law there on top of Mount Sinai, um, and again, you saw some of this in Acts chapter 2 with Pentecost, when God gave the law there on top of Mount Sinai, there was lightning, there was thundering, there was clouds, there was earthquake. God showed out that day. Uh, And you see some more of that in the book of Exodus because that was a very vulnerable time in the creation of, of the people of Israel. That's why, I mean, God has not chosen to feed people with quail and manna since. Um, you know, you read in the book of Exodus, their shoes didn't even wear out in their journey. Well, that's not typical. It's not normative. But that was a very important, significant time in the life of Israel. And that's why God showed out in a lot of ways, um, to protect and to establish Israel. Well, same thing in the book of Acts. Again, think about Pentecost sort of looking like Sinai with the sound and the sights um, and, and, and all of the um, things people saw on the day of Pentecost. This is a very vulnerable time. In, in the life of the establishment of the, of, the, of the church. Again, this is the text where the word church occurs for the first time in the book of, um, in the book of Acts. So this is a very vulnerable time. So God is taking, God is always jealous of his church. God is always protective of the bride of Christ. God is always protective of the body of Christ, which again, that's why you don't want to trifle with God or trifle with the bride of Christ or trifle with the body of Christ um, because God is jealous. God is protective over his people, just like Israel or the Christian community. So um, uh, particularly here at the beginning, God was exercising um, some jealous care over, um, over the creation of the community. You notice up to this point, in Acts, if, if, if the book of Acts had ended at what we call chapter 4, if it had ended at the end of chapter 4, we would have thought that there was this idyllic period when everything was harmonious and sweet in the life of the Christian community. 
Um, Acts, Acts doesn't want to give you that impression. Luke certainly knows better. So that's why beginning here in chapter 5, yeah, there comes conflicts and controversies, and the church will begin to struggle. Uh, I love chapter 6 because um, here you see some issues over money uh, and in human hearts. In chapter 6, you, you will see that um, the early apostles have to deal with administrative headaches. I'm so glad chapter 6 is there. I take great comfort out of chapter 6. That I mean, we're not even hard. And there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And by chapter 6, they're dealing with administrative headaches. And we'll get there. So uh, um, I think there's a reason all that. There's a reason what's in the Bible's in the Bible. But um, so God is ex- exercising jealous care. We probably should thank God every day that God does not exercise such jealous care over the body of Christ today. He will give you freedom to, to batter the bride. He will give you freedom uh, to harm the work of Christ in the world. But here in the book of Acts, it's a different period, like Sinai. It is, it's a very vulnerable period. So um, I say that in case any of you are concerned about dropping dead right now. Um, <laughs> Some of you might should ought to drop dead right now. But um, in case you're concerned about that, uh, the book of Acts is, is, there is some difference between the book of Acts and the year 2022. Uh, but the book of Acts still teaches us we need to be careful with trifling with God, be careful trifling with um, things of God. Um, yeah, the whole Bible is given, the whole, as the Bible teaches, the Bible is all God-breathed. And the whole Bible is important and, and instructive for us, including this text. So this is an amazing, amazing text. Um, I don't know, you know, and what you get with chapter 5, verse 12 and beyond is another one of, um, well, let's go ahead and read it. I'll, I'll make a few more verses because this is a summary statement. This is another one of Paul's, not Paul, Peter's summary, Luke's summary statements about the ministry of Peter. Um, and he keeps coming back to this so that you don't miss the big picture. You saw kind of the little picture with Ananias and Sapphira. Keep reading. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people. You know, that's, that's what the Holy Spirit does. It was regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in port, Solomon's portico. We've already talked about that being part of the temple. None of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem. Nobody tried to take the job away from the apostles. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Again, Luke loves his numbers. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Again, I think, I'm sure I've quoted Luke Timothy Johnson before. Luke Timothy Johnson's uh, one of my favorite New Testament scholars. He taught for years at Emory University. He said when you look at the early Christian community, it was almost as if there was a force field around them. They took the work of the Holy Spirit very seriously. They had the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit had them. So the Holy Spirit could continue the work of Christ through them. 
um, these were Christians who had not only been possessed by the Holy Spirit, but they were yielded to the Holy Spirit. Um, that's why you see stuff happening here like these signs and wonders. John Wesley was very clear. Signs and wonders are an option for today. We can't say what just happened back then, but not today. You cannot make a theological case for that. John Wesley said signs and wonders could happen today. The reason they don't is our spiritual weakness. You know, we, we've got a religious department to our lives rather than a life yielded to Jesus Christ. We add Jesus to a, a, an already busy life. We kind of add a little religious option to our busy life. That's not who you see in the New Testament church. These people are completely sold out to Christ. And that's why um, the people around them who were watching what was going on, they saw something remarkable. They saw something supernatural there. Again, this is our picture, our photograph. We need to always be asking ourselves how, how much we look like our picture, which is why we have the book of Acts in the Bible. Let's pray together, and I'll let you go. Uh, let's pray. God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for a time to be together. We give you thanks for your word. And, Lord, we thank you you've not left us to our ignorance, and through your Holy Spirit, you can help us to read, inwardly digest, to cogitate and to meditate on your word, and to glean some truth from your word for our living. Lord, so we ask for grace. We ask for courage to be people formed and reformed by your word. Give us the courage to stand, even stand alone if necessary. God, we, we pray that you will use us the way you use these early Christian believers. We pray, God, that we will allow you to use us like you use these early Christian believers. We know that you are the same yesterday, today, forever. We know that your Holy Spirit hasn't changed. So we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. May we allow our lives to become our gift to the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.